Well, would you go to a neighbor, go to somebody, say, hi, I'm glad you're here today, and welcome them, because we are glad you're worshiping with us today. just what is God going to do with you being here in that seat today? God brought us here today to worship him for all that he's done. And that's what we want to give back to him ourselves.
Okay, there we are. Please pass the friendship folder down the aisle. Reach in the book rack right there, find one. If you'll be so kind to put your name on that and give it to a person sitting next to you, we'll appreciate that a lot. Uh, just a few announcements this morning. Uh, first of all, inside your Sunday Courier, there is this little form, and it is about our upcoming membership class, Membership 101. If you have never been to one of these classes, we certainly want you to come. Uh, we want you to explore further becoming a member of our church. Uh, we'll, f we'll feed you a nice lunch after the 11 o'clock service, and uh, then we'll talk about the history of the church, the vision of the church, the mission of the church, and uh, answer any questions that you may have about the church up here on top of the hill. So we need a reservation from you. Uh, it's in about a month from now after the second service. Please do come. We, we want you to be there. Also, uh, you'll notice there's so many things going on right now in the church. Have you noticed that? And we're just kind of getting ramped up for the spring. Uh, every Easter time, we have what we call 30 pieces of silver offering. And uh, we ask all of our families to give an extra $30 uh, over and above their regular giving. And uh, usually a lot of people participate in that, and it gives us some money to work with uh, for some special projects around the church. This year we're going to designate the, those funds to the children's ministry downstairs. We have lots of things that we want to do downstairs. We use that, that area continually in our ministry. Uh, that big long rug needs to be replaced, the ceiling, a lot of other things. And some of those things are listed in our Sunday Courier for today. So we want to, we have to re keep rebuilding this building all the time um, because it's old and we, we want to bring it up to uh, acceptable, more than acceptable standards. So that's what the 30 pieces of silver is going to be about this year. Please pray and do what you can uh, to make that a success at the end of the month on Easter Sunday. We'll do that. Let's stand together right now as our ushers come and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. We thank you so much for your faithful giving to the church each week. It makes it possible for us to uh, do the ministry in a practical way. And uh, I know that you're blessed as you, as you give to the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love and we thank you for allowing us the privilege of being here today, to meet in your name uh, like congregations have done down through the centuries. We pray now that you will pour out your spirit upon us as we uh, render up our tithes and our offerings to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
you this morning with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, and humbly seeking you this morning. We ask, Lord, that you will please just bless us, Lord, for you are worthy of all of our praise, and you are the one that died on the cross for each one of us. Lord, we thank you that we have been forgiven, and we thank you so much that you are even now preparing a place in eternity for each of us that have called upon your name as Lord and Savior. God, we ask that you will just continually let a praise be on our lips. For you are the great I am, the king of kings, the creator of the universe, and the one that loves us so. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence being here with us. And ask that you will continually lift us in praise to the great I am. We love you and we praise you. For you are worthy. Amen. You may be seated, please. Amen. Thank you. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the church that uh, ran out of love. At least that's what Revelation chapter 2 is about. Verse number one, it says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a famous place. Uh, if you ever take a Holy Land tour, and uh, you may have to stop there on the way to Israel and visit some of the places where the churches were built in modern-day Turkey. Ephesus is there. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst 
of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. There were many good things that uh, the Lord said about this church at Ephesus. And uh, here are just a few of them. Verse number three, and you have uh, persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You know, that's a good quality for any church. This church is about 40 years old at this particular time and, and uh, they've been working for God the whole time and still they haven't, they haven't decided to give up yet. They, they're, they're not weary. They're just working along, doing the right thing. Nevertheless, I have uh, this against you, that you have left your first love. And for those of you who like to underline things in your Bible, that would be the place to underline right there. Left your first love. Because this is at the crux, the essence of our message this morning. Uh, it's a message for them, but it's also a message for us. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And this refers to eternal life. Uh, one of these days... Every person in this room is going to step across the border, uh, out of time into eternity. And uh, that's going to be a happy day. We do it a little, a little reluctantly, but whenever we come down to that particular time, I think it's going to be uh, a very, very happy occasion for us. Uh, John the Apostle here, who's writing this particular book, has been exiled to the island of Patmos. It's a little island off the coast of Turkey. They still take groups there now on tours to show the place where they think that John was on the island of Patmos. He was there, according to chapter 1, because he was uh, preaching the Bible and he was preaching about Christ. And uh, that has always had its mixed results. Whenever Christ is preached, some people say, oh, yes, and others say, oh no. And so John was uh, the last remaining survivor of the apostles at this time. I guess you would call him a high-profile Christian, if ever there was one. All the other apostles have died, but he's the remaining one, and they thought, well, we'll get rid of him. We'll put him out there on that island, and uh, he'll certainly die out there. But he was doing more than dying out there. He was writing the Lord appeared to him and gave him a message uh, for you and for me. Now, whenever you read the book of Revelation, it's rooted in the Old Testament. It contains more than 500 allusions to the Old Testament. And so, and so it's almost like a flashback. When you're reading Revelation, it's like, oh, I've seen that in the Old Testament. And you're reading Revelation and you're saying, oh, I've seen that in the Old Testament, actually. Uh, there are 278 of the 404 verses in Revelation that have reference to the Old Testament. And so about 70% of the book of Revelation has a connection, an interweaving with the Old Testament. The ancient Christian historian Eusebius said that John was exiled, imprisoned on the island of Patmos during the reign of the Roman Emperor Domitian. And uh, others said that there were mines on that island that they made the prisoners work in. And so we know a little bit about that time. Uh, look with me, please, to chapter 1, verse 19. As the Lord was appearing to John, he said, Now listen, I want you to write. Get your pen out. I'm ready to give you a message. Write the things which you have seen. Now, last week, if you were here in the service, remember we, uh, we talked about the vision of Christ, the exalted Christ, remember? And we have the picture back there. Uh, his robe was uh, long down to the feet, and uh, 
There, that's the vision. And so he says, listen, I want you to write the things which you've seen. That's the vision of Christ. And then the things that are, and that's the churches, Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. That's the current churches that were in that part of, we'll call it Turkey. And they were doing their ministry there. And then, thirdly, the things which will take place after this. And so we have chapter 1, the vision of Christ. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, the churches that were currently operating in that part of the world at that time. And then from chapter 4 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, we have the future things. We call them Bible prophecy, things out in the future. Now, these candlesticks right here, or lampstands, represented the churches. There were seven of them. Uh, the stars in the Lord's right hand they are said to be, according to our Bible, angels. Now, the Greek word for angels is the word angelos, and most of the time in the New Testament it's translated angel, but there are some times that it's translated messenger. And so these are the messengers of the churches. Down below we have the churches. Up above in our Lord's right hand we have the messengers, or let's just call them the pastors of the churches at that time. Uh, it's interesting that the pastors of the churches are in the Lord's right hand. Uh, he's watching over the pastors. Thank God for that. Uh, he takes care of the pastors pretty well. They're real close to him, and so are the churches. Because remember, the church is the body of Christ on earth. Uh, and, and all of this is about the light. All of this is about sending out the light. Matthew 5.14 uh, is... a uh, is related to this. Let's, let's read this together this morning, please. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, that first verse says this, you are the light of the world. Now, that's pretty penetrating. That means that I am and you are, and wherever you find yourself this next, next week, you're going to be the light in a dark place in this world. God's placed you where you are, to shine. Years ago, the little kids in the Sunday school used to always sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it, what? Shine, right? And the kids who go out of the Sunday school, man, they'd be shining like crazy. And they'd go home and sing it to their parents, and their parents says, you know, I like that tune. But uh, Jesus says, listen, uh, don't put your lamp under a basket it's supposed to give light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they glorify, see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so uh, that's the message of Christ for you and me. We are to let our light shine. Now, what Jesus is saying to these seven churches, specifically today to the Ephesian church, he's saying in every generation because churches don't change much. You know, we have a different format, we meet in a different place, we have a little bit different vocabulary, but human nature is still the same. We still have the same heart that people have had down through the centuries. And so the message to this church is a message for our church today. Uh, the counselor here in chapter 2 is Christ. Uh, he's the only one that can really analyze the church. You know, we rate churches on all sorts of things, don't we? We have our little checklist. Uh, we look around the church and we say, okay, we have a children's ministry. I guess we'll give that an A, okay? We got, it's pretty good. Uh, and then we have a youth ministry and, we, okay, we'll grade that. It's, we have a youth ministry in our church and we have mops in our church and we, we have all these little grades that we give everybody. And, uh, and, after, and you, churches have the ability to look pretty good. You know, they, 
they have the ability to have a, a good persona, so to speak. But, uh, but the Lord doesn't, I don't think, look on the church like that. I think he looks much deeper than that. I don't think he looks at the church and says, oh, listen, they have a normal schedule of a church like all the other churches in town. Uh, I love 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've refused him for the Lord does not see as men sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks where? On the heart, right? And so the Lord looks down in our church, and we're here rating ourselves. Okay, got an A, a B on this one, a C over here. And, uh, boy, we need help on that one. And uh, we rate ourselves, and the Lord looks down, and he says, listen, you're, you're looking at the wrong thing. I'm looking at your heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. The church at Ephesus was, a, uh, was one of the more uh, effective churches, I think you would call it, in the New Testament. Paul ministered there for a while. Actually, Ephesus was the gateway to Asia. And at Ephesus, there was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And people came from all around the world to view the temple of Artemis, the goddess Artemis. And this was a wicked thing, but it was a tourist attraction. It was a religious thing. And around every religious uh, attraction, there are people who make money off of religion. If you travel to Rome today, uh, you can buy any kind of trinket, religious trinket you want. A lot of people are making a lot of money in Rome off religion. If you travel to Jerusalem or to Israel, you'll find the same thing. If you go to Bethlehem, you'll be inundated with religious trinkets, okay? And so what happened is uh, the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus, and he began to tell the Ephesian people that these gods that the, the silversmiths were making were not real gods because God, you can't, you can't visualize God with some little idol. And his message was interfering with their business and when the, the Christian message interferes with people's business, uh, riots break out. And that's exactly what happened here in Ephesus. Uh, Paul's message was a challenge to their livelihood. Now, this church was effective in that it was causing riots. I guess that was a mark of effectiveness back during that time. Uh, this church had a rather storied history. Paul ministered there for a while. He was in the synagogue, in homes, and in the lecture hall. And so here we find the first message in Revelation to the church at Ephesus. You know, the church is a good place. It really is. I said last week that almost every good decision, or many of the good decisions of my life were made in church. I accepted Jesus as my Savior in the church. Uh, I met my wife in the church. Uh, I dedicated my life to preach in the church. And I've been there ever since in the church. I've raised my family in the church. Church is a good place. If we exercise some forgiveness in the church, you've got to have forgiveness in the church, you know that? And if we uh, have the right expectations in the church, I think so many times people have such high expectations sometimes of the church. You know, like the church is supposed to please them every week and uh, the church is supposed to get better all the time and things of that nature. We need to have realistic expectations. The church is just a group of sinners saved by what? Grace. Yeah. And that's a very realistic group of people, right? And, and so if we have the right expectations about, about the church, the church can be a very good place. And, uh, and we'll see in a minute if we have the right kind of love about the church. That helps too. So here we find the Lord looking at this church and he, first of all, he commends them uh, for, let's look at it in verse number two. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. I know your works, hard work. You see the word labor there? 
The word laborer literally means to work to exhaustion. Now, let, let that sink down in your mind. To work to exhaustion. This church was a working church. And the Lord says, you know, that's really great. You know, when we think of church today, sometimes we don't think of it in that, those terms. But the Lord here is commending their hard work, work to the point of exhaustion, and their endurance. Now, if you're working to the point of exhaustion, you're certainly enduring. The Greek word here for endurance is hupomene, which means to remain under the burden. And so I said to you earlier, this church is about 40 years old. And these people have been under the burden of the church for, for 40 years. And they're working, some of them, to the point of exhaustion. And you know, whenever I found that out, I thought to myself, why wouldn't the church work to the point of exhaustion? The work of the church is eternal. It has eternal consequences. And so something that has eternal consequences is worth working to the point of exhaustion. I, I like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He said this, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I'm gladly going to be spent for you. Now, I wonder how many of us spend ourselves like that. Now, it's kind of convicting, isn't it? But the work of the church has eternal consequences. And uh, the church is supposed to be a place not where we come to play, but where we come to work. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why has the Lord left us here on earth since we have been saved? He's left us here so that we can work for him. We are workers. We are workers together. Uh, we do our part. We pitch in. Uh, we help lift the burden over here so someone else doesn't have to lift it all in the church. You know, many churches do well at this. They take the command of Christ literally. They put their hand to the plow and they don't look back. You know, when I think about the work that our church has done through the years, I'm encouraged. Uh, Teddy Wilderman was in our first service this morning. There's, uh, he was a, a fellow who helped build the little church over in Library in South Park. Whenever they first built that church, they built the, the basement first. Years ago, people used to build basements and they'd live in them. How many people remember that? They'd live in the basement, all four of us, Okay. They'd live in the basement. And so you'd drive down these country roads, you'd see these little houses, they were just basements. And what they would do is they'd live in that basement and then they'd try to save some money so they could put the top of the house on. And one of the finest ladies in our church, Miss Dorothy Wilson, I don't think she ever got out of the basement. We'd go over to visit her, her house was in the basement. Well, that's the way this church started. Uh, they built a basement and they met in the basement. They were happy to have a basement. And then after a while, they went out and bought some old bricks, used bricks. And I've heard the stories about how they chipped the old mortar off the old used bricks. And when you drive by on Piney Fork Road over there to see that little church, those are all used bricks. Uh, that, uh, that loving hands uh, chipped the old mortar off, and they, they put a lot of their sweat and blood into that place uh, so that you and I could uh, be where we are today. And here uh, we find that this church was kind of like that church. Uh, it was a church that took a stand against evil. You'll notice also here in this passage, they tested those who said they were apostles, uh, and they found them liars. They also, in verse number 6, uh, hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Uh, the Nicolaitans uh, meant to conquer the people, and some people believe that these people were the first people to establish a clergy and a laity. That means that the clergy's way up here and the laity's way down here, and there's like a superior hierarchy. Uh, there's a big division between the clergy and the laity. And if that indeed is the interpretation of this verse, uh, I want you to notice this, uh, that uh, you hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's a very penetrating thought right there. 
they took a stand against evil. They were a working church. Uh, they were a church that tested false doctrine. And, uh, and the, the Lord was about to chasten them. That's the next point. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Hebrews 12.6. And he scourges everyone whom he receives. You know, when you join the family of God, you have to get ready for the discipline of the Lord. And sometimes people don't understand that. Because in every good family, you have to have discipline. You know, you, when, when you have kids, you can't just say, okay, uh, you can go out with your buddies and hang out all night. No, you say, listen, I, I choose your buddies. <laughs> and uh, you've got to be in at 1030. And if you're not in at 1030, you're in trouble. And uh, that's a parent who loves their kids, right? That's a parent who loves their kids. So whenever we become a part of the family of God, the Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he scourges every son, everyone whom he receives. Every person is in for the chastening of God. And, so, and, the, and the reason why is because God loves us too much to let us live the life we want to live. Because we all have that rebellious nature, don't we? Is anybody here that doesn't have that? No votes on that one. How many people here have a rebellious nature? Would you raise your hand? Let's put both of our hands up. Okay, yes, okay. We all do, right? That's our nature. That's what we do. And so, and so we know oftentimes which way to go, and, but sometimes we don't go that way. And so the Lord reaches out and he, he grabs a hold of us and he pulls us back, first of all, gently. First of all, gently. And so that's what he's going to do right here to this church. Look at it in verse number four. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Uh, you've left your first love. Uh, he uh, takes a stand here against them. Uh, what does this mean? That means their honeymoon love. I think that consists of two things. First of all, I think it consists of their love for God and their love for each other. Because that's what really propelled the church into the world and made it effective. The church was effective because they loved God and they served God because they loved God and they served each other because they loved each other. And that's not a love that can be generated just because you say to your, listen, you need to love your Christian brother and your Christian sister. That's a love that emanates from your heart. And so there are two parts to this love. Uh, in John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so what he's saying here, he's chastening them. He says, listen, uh, you have left your first love. Uh, it kind of reminds me of what uh, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah. God was talking to the nation of Israel. This is what he said. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness and in the land not sown. The Lord was saying to the nation of Israel, I remember when you really loved me. I remember when you really cared about me. Well, you know, love does mature. Um, but what happened here is uh, the proximity of Jesus and the church uh, became, there was a gap uh, and it started to widen. And after a while, they uh, almost fell out of love with the Lord. They were so busy maintaining their commitments. Listen, they were testing false apostles. They were coming against those who uh, created evil in the church. They were good in that respect. But what Jesus is saying here is love is no, labor is no substitute for love. And so oftentimes, the reason why we make ourselves feel good because we work hard. You know, okay, I go to the church, I work. Maybe if I work harder, God will be happier with me. And so we work harder, and somebody pats us on the back and says, boy, I'll tell you, you're a real laborer in the church. And we say, oh, yeah, I know it. You know, it makes you feel good. But what happened, and what was happening here, is their love for God was subsiding as their labor in the church was increasing. 
they started to love more the work of the Lord rather than the Lord of the work. You know, it feels good to serve God. I'll tell you what, it feels good. It feels good to go help somebody out and to take a meal to their home and, and to pray with them or visit somebody in the hospital. That feels good. Man, that feels like that's what we ought to be doing as a church, and we do that and we pat ourselves on the back. Uh, but what happened is a lot of times that kind of work becomes cold and mechanical. Uh, their zeal for the truth and their commitment to service and all of that was good. But what Jesus is saying, listen, here is no substitute for love. And so he gives them his counsel. Let's look at it in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is the Lord's counsel. This is the procedure. Remember your first love. And I found out through study that that particular word, remember there, is a command, not a suggestion. It's a command. It is what we call a present imperative, and that means stop doing what you're doing right now. This is good for our church. Stop doing what you're doing right now and transport yourself back into the past when you love Jesus more than you do right now. And your first reaction is, well, you know, I love Jesus more now than I've ever loved him before, but you say that, and I say that, but is that really true? What is love? Isn't love giving him our time, our, our, our attention, our affection? And so what he says here is stop what you're doing right now and go back and look at the word. Remember, therefore, from once you have fallen. Go back and remember how it was with you with the Lord in the beginning. Now, we say in the church, and, and this is good teaching, we say in the church that we're supposed to forget the things in the past. And that's good. We've got to forget some things in the past. But here, Jesus is saying, don't forget this. Don't forget this. Remember how it used to be with you and God, with you and God. Just remember that. Uh, stop and go back. And then after you remember, after you cherish how that used to be, then I want you to repent because it's not that way anymore. It's not that way with you anymore. You have taken God for granted. You have taken your relationship for granted. And you don't think in those terms anymore about giving God your time, your attention, and your affection. And so uh, then you repent. And what is the meaning of repentance? It goes like this. Repentance is the change of mind that leads to a change of action. That's repentance. Agree with God. Yeah, God, I have gotten away from you. I may be busier now in the church than I've ever been before, but I've really gotten away from you. Now, then he says, let's go on. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Uh, repent means to return to, to that first love. In other words, do your work the way you did it at the beginning. And I know that you're going to say, well, you know, you can never recapture that honeymoon love. Well, uh, you know, there is an emotion to that that, that you can't get. But the Lord is saying, listen, I want you to go back and love me like you did at the start. It'll be a more mature love. It won't be as, as shallow as it was, but it'll be more mature. Uh, worship the Lord and not the ministry of the program. Uh, unless we do what we do out of the wellspring of love for God and others, uh, it will become a drudgery. And I know that that speaks to all of us who are involved in the ministry. It will become a drudgery. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, this is hard. Uh, okay, I'll do it. Uh, and uh, the motivation and the love for Christ and the energy and the enthusiasm that that generates isn't in our life. Well, he says, listen, this has to change in this church. And so, and so we can say, of course, it had to change in that church, but you know, the thing about that church, it was all made up of people like you and me. And in order for it to change in the church, where does it have to change? 
That's the change in our life, right? That's the change in the life of every person that attends the church. And so he says, uh, I want you to do the first works or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Or else. Growing up, did your dad ever say to you, or else? And your heart stopped. Or else. <laughs> yes, dad. <laughs> okay. That's what Jesus is saying to this church. He said, unless you get this fixed, you're going to lose your light. And the kids in the Sunday school won't be singing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Uh, and so, he says, I'll come to you quickly. And I'm going to remove the light. I understand that in Ephesus, there is no church today. And so, he throws out a challenge to them. Uh, Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He said, if you serve me the way you started out serving me, uh, you're going to be blessed in eternity in an unparalleled way. You're going to be rewarded. You know, the Lord always rewards people for their service for Christ. Uh, 1 John 4, 4 and 5 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. The tree of life here refers to eternal life in heaven with the Lord. Now what happened here is this. This church became careless and mechanical. And Jesus said simply, if this doesn't change, I'm going to take away your light. Your light's going out. And so isn't that the way that it happens in churches? Isn't that the way it happens? Because uh, when everybody's burning brightly, it's like, oh, man, this is good. We're a testimony in the dark world. And then as one light goes out over here and one light goes out back there and one light goes out over there the radiance begins to diminish and I don't I'm not talking about numbers of people because this is not talking about big churches and little churches and I remember I said there is no such thing as that every church is important with God and a little church whether it's two or three can have a big bright light you know that and a big church whether it be, could be thousands of people could have very little light shining and so this is not about that. But he says, if you don't change, you're going to lose your light. And so I think what we have to do is we have to apply that to ourselves. That means me. That means, do I get up here and do my little thing? And do I do my thing in the office and in my counseling? And do I do my thing because I love to do this? Because it makes me feel good? Or do I do this because I really love the Lord? Am I giving God my time, my attention, and my affection? Or have I robbed him of that and replaced that with what I do in the church? Well, he says, if you have an ear, I want you to hear. All churches need spiritual changes, but this one is most needed. This church lost its love. It just became a church. And you know, it's easy to become a church. You just go through the routine. And so my question to you today is this, is are you going through the routine? And I'm asking myself the same question. Are you, are you a routine Christian? You're just kind of like putting one foot in front of the other because that's what you're expected to do? Or are you putting one foot in front of another because you really are doing this for Christ? Well, I remember there was a young fellow in our church, and I won't mention his name. Some of you will remember him. Uh, he was a, he's a wonderful guy. He uh, moved away and lives in another part of the city. But he got a burden for one of his friends that he grew up. I think a kid went to college with him. Maybe it was even his college roommate. And he kept praying for his salvation. You know, and I don't know what the kid's name was, but he was praying, Lord, save him. And all of a sudden, God brought that whole thing together 
And he was out meeting together with him one time and he brought him to Christ. He shared the gospel and this, this young boy came to Christ. And uh, he was telling me about it. He said, you know, I was so happy and so thrilled that immediately that when, I met, when I left my friend, I went and for a period of time, I worshiped the Lord. Nobody ever said that to me before. Now, probably people have done that. Nobody ever told me that. He said, after I won him to Christ, I went for a good period of time and I just worshiped the Lord. And I thought, oh man, that touched me. That touched me. Because, you know, a lot of times when we try to witness to somebody, we, it's almost like it's a notch in our belt. Okay, number four for this month, number five. He said, I worshiped the Lord. Um, I'll tell you what, he had a love for Christ. And he knew that Christ did that. Well, um, there's a church tradition that goes like this. When John, who wrote the book of Revelation, was an old man, he was in Ephesus. Church history says that he got off the island of Patmos, and he came back and he was a part of the church at Ephesus. And when he got real old, he had to be carried to the church in the arms of the disciples. Now, I'm looking forward to that one of these days, and you're the disciples, by the way, so get ready. They had to carry him to church in the arms of the disciples, and at these meetings, he was accustomed to say, no more than little children love one another. And after a period of time, the disciples, wearied at always hearing the same words, asked, Master, why do you always say this? He said, it's the Lord's command. And if this alone is done, it is enough. So old John carried into the church by his disciples, kept repeating the same thing, love one another. Pretty good advice in light of what we've just seen in this story. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed uh, this morning, I wonder how we're doing. Uh, you know, I think the Lord looks at our church and he rates it different than we do. We say we have this and we have that and we've done this and we're doing that and, and uh, we pat ourselves on the back and the Lord says, listen, I just want you to remember I'm looking at your heart. Why are you doing this? Is it for me? Is it for you? Does it make you feel good? Uh, I want you to love me. And so let's look down and see, uh, see how we're doing in this respect today. And let's, uh, let's all apply this uh, personally. Okay. And I think if the Lord said it to them, he said it to us, if, if this doesn't change, you'll just lose your light, that's all. That doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation. It just means you'll lose your light. And you won't burn bright anymore. Dear Lord, we, um, we ask you to take these words and to uh, filter them into our heart, Lord. Each and every one of us, Lord, we're part of the light that burns on top of this hill. And Lord, we just pray that you'll help us to be as strong as light as we possibly can be. And, and uh, help us to go back and remember how it used to be. How we used to get up so early and get so excited about meeting you and you alone first in our life and how we thrilled with uh, taking you to work with us and on the job and how we expected you to work through us throughout the day. Lord, help us to recapture some of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart in some way, I, I want to ask you to respond today. Feel free to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend as we sing this song.
Amen. Thank you. Go ahead. And the Lord's people said, Amen. Well, what a great day in church. I hope you were encouraged this morning, and I hope you'll go out and remember how it used to be. And uh, if there's changes that need to be made, let's make them, okay? Turn around and shake hands with everybody around you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Sins and griefs to bear.